This is the Lost Start of Communication, hosted by Molly and Trisha. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lost Start of Communication podcast. Today, we are very excited to have Casey Brunell on the show. Casey is a salary negotiation coach based in San Diego, California. Salary negotiations is something that Molly and I have talked about having an expert come on to discuss for quite some time. So the fact that Casey is here today is incredibly exciting. Welcome and thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to spread the good word. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into such a scary thing like salary negotiating. I love it. I love it because everyone's, everyone uses the word scary, but I guess because I'm used to it, I'm kind of like, there are way worse things. Like you're never going to find me bungee jumping. You're never going to find me rock climbing, but I will negotiate salary any chance I get. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I grew up in St. Louis and I moved away for college. I spent a brief year in North Carolina before I transferred to a school in Spain and I think that just throughout school, I always learned to advocate for myself and figure life out in new places. I was also an exchange student in Argentina right after high school. So I kind of learned early in life to navigate by asking questions, staying curious and figure out like, who are the people that are making the decisions around here? Who are people that have information? Because if I need something, I need to go ask them. And that that type of like ecosystem navigation, I think definitely applies to salary negotiation. So maybe I was even in training before I realized it. But now I've found myself in San Diego. I got married a few years ago. My husband's job brought us out here. And I. it's funny, I just reached a two-year job anniversary this week. And much to the millennial stereotype, this is the longest that I've ever been at a company before because I've moved moved around so much. After Spain, I was in St. Louis, had two jobs there for less than a year and a half each, I think. And then I was in Austin and I had a job there for less than two years. And then I am now where I am in San Diego. I have a day job working at a social impact agency, consulting agency, and Um, I'm also doing salary negotiation on the side. So I'm interested to hear the questions of like, well, I haven't been in my job long enough to ask for a raise. So I don't know. I'm like, girl, let me tell (laughs) you, time is not an issue. Uh, There's other ways to represent your value, but that's always a popular one. I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm reaching my year and a half mark at my job. And I've definitely had that thought, you know, like, can I ask for a raise? Is that even an option? So I want to know about the first time you asked for a raise. How did that feel? What were your nerves like? How did it go? You know, I was definitely nervous and I depended on my mom a lot more than I care to admit. So I was in St. Louis. I It was going to be my second job out of college, still um, an hourly position. And I think I had gone to the interview and the, the man who was going to be my manager mentioned that it would pay $17 an hour, which was a big jump for me at the time, making $12 an hour. And I remember thinking, okay, great. Like, sounds good to me. And then later when we got on the phone, he was like, hey, I misspoke. I think that the job is like around $13.25, $13.50 an hour. 
And that's kind of when I, I felt like he was pulling one over on me. So I remember being like, okay, let me think about it. Called my mom and I'm like, what the heck mom? Like, this is so not cool. And she agreed and, you know, has always been the one to tell me like advocate for yourself, find more answers. If he said 17, clearly that number was in his head for a reason. So anyways, there was a lot of back and forth. And at the time, I think I, I was 23 and just didn't even really know how long is this negotiation supposed to take? I felt like I was being rude, holding up the process by calling and asking so many questions. It was very uncomfortable and it was all over the phone, which I'm the kind of person where I like to do all of my negotiations in person. Some people would prefer the phone because there's a little bit of distance there, but I like to read body language. I feel like I can be a little bit more charming in person than over the phone. So it was really uncomfortable. And I, to this day, I don't know where he got that number. Maybe the woman who I was backfilling was making that much. I don't know. But I ended up making, I want to say like around $14.12 an hour. Why such an exact number? I don't know. But uh, it was lower than what I had expected. Um, But at the time, you know, the, the first part of my early career was just so messy and I was so focused on other benefits at the time because I was in a long distance relationship and I needed to have paid time off so I could take lengthy trips to Spain to see my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And that's something else that I don't think we talk about a lot is just because you don't get the wage that you want at first, if there's another benefit that matters more to you at the time, it's okay to have a little bit of like push and shove or a little bit of um, what's the word I'm looking for. I don't like to say sacrifice, but willingness and maybe willingness to meet in the middle. Cause I think oftentimes when we talk about salary negotiation, we train women to not be this, the stereotype to not be the statistic and to go in there saying like, I want this, this, and this, and we're not walking out of the room until I get this. But that's unrealistic because at different points in our life, we're going to need something more than something else. I think this is a really popular concept with new mothers. Some people want to be in a job where they can coast a little bit when they're starting to plan a family because they don't want that extra responsibility at work when they know they're going to have it at home. And we need to normalize and make that acceptable to say at different seasons in your life, some benefits besides salary are going to matter a lot more to you. And that's perfectly okay. I didn't know that at the time. I felt like I was leaving money on the table. I felt like I was part of the bad statistic, but now obviously hindsight is 2020. And I realize I was exactly where I needed to be in life because the two jobs that I had right when I got out of college gave me unlimited, actually the three jobs. I worked selling office furniture, cubicles. It's a funny story. I worked at a school and then I worked at a software company. All three jobs gave me unlimited paid, unlimited PTO. um, And I got to go to Spain when I wanted to and uphold a relationship that is now a marriage. So it all works out. I think that's huge is really just identifying your priorities and knowing that your priorities are going to shift throughout your life. And maybe there's a period of time where money is the most important thing. And then other periods where it's the different benefits or the flexibility. So I think that's a great point and thing to consider. Yeah. I had never thought of that. Like the whole, it's, it's the whole package, right? Like when you're negotiating, it's not just that salary, it's everything. And that was a huge factor for me. Like paid time off switching jobs that, you know, became a huge 
um, piece of the puzzle when I was thinking about what job to take next. Um, yeah. So that's such a huge thing to think about. It really is because I think, especially when we're training young women, we there is a huge fear of falling into the wrong camp of statistics to the point where now I think women are like, should I be negotiating? And they freak out about it because they think that if they don't, they're going to be part of the wrong crowd on the wrong side of the fence, whatever that means. But obviously, I always tell anyone, advocate for yourself whenever and wherever appropriate. However, this need to demand it all and all at once, I sometimes feel is unrealistic and it adds unnecessary pressure. If there's a season in your life where you need something more than something else, like let that be okay. And don't think that you're grouping yourself into the statistic of women who are leaning out or leaving money on the table or whatever else that is, because sometimes it's not necessarily true. And it it is unfair to compare your circumstances to other people's negotiation circumstances, because everybody has so much going on behind the curtain. Like, who are we to say? Yeah, I love that you bring up the comparison piece, because I personally work a very different job from a lot of people that I know. I am an independent contractor, so I don't work as many hours per week, which is great because it's very flexible. I can take time off. I work from home. I can go see my parents and still work and make money. And so sometimes people will look at my life and be like, wow, that's so great. But I also don't get benefits. And if I take time off, it's not paid time. off. I just don't make money. And it's like, if I get sick, I just don't make money. And so I love the position that I'm in and So it was, but it's a matter for me to say my priority, I value my free time and the flexibility over the benefits. And so I just think, I love that that point of don't compare yourself to other people because you don't know what they're going through. And as you're mentioning all of the cultural influence and women can feel like they're doing the wrong thing, really just want to encourage everyone to think about what are my values in my life, not what people are telling me I should be prioritizing, but what is actually relevant for you. I love this. Yes. We laugh because people say, Casey, you're so confident, but I always joke that my famous last words on my tombstone are going to be like, quote, am I doing this right? Because I'm always worried that somebody else knows something that I don't know. And it doesn't always feel like I'm doing life the one right way as if there were one. And so when you're saying, cause I, I could totally feel that. I mean, I would even, I have even like toyed with the freelancing concept and often think about like, wow, you know, what is it like to pass a holiday and not get paid and think like, am I leaving money on the table? But and I've, I've helped some contractors negotiate too, like hourly rates, other freelancers. And you really start to think about what matters to you in life. How do you prefer your schedule to be? And how can you create a values-based pricing system that has you covered for the days that you might not work, the holidays, the health insurance that you're paying so that you're baking that stuff into your pricing so that when that day does come around, you're not thinking, wow, everybody else is getting paid today, but I'm not. No, that's not true. You're just baking in the that into the price that you get paid at other dates. So there's, there's a whole mentality shift that has to happen and it really is challenging. And I think the nature of work for everyone, 
but especially for women in COVID, is changing rapidly. It seems like every day something new happens or there's some new development. Are the schools open? Are they not open? Like, are do kids need this? Do kids need that? And if women are still the primary caregiver the, and expected to be like the modern working woman too, thinking about those things and in terms of how they value spending their time is so, so, so important because the opposite, not doing that, we can fall into this trap of, well, I was supposed to be this modern working woman. Now I'm supposed to be a teacher, caregiver, and a home manager. Like, how can I split myself in half? And there's just a lot of pressure that comes with that. And I think that's why we've seen in COVID so many women having to leave the workforce, maybe not all by choice, but because it's really, really hard to value both of those things fully at the same time. You have to wear so many hats. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think put 12 more on us. <laughs> I, I think that maybe some women might not like what I have to say about that because there's another stereotype of like, well, women can do it all. Let's stop saying that it's so hard or like, stop saying that we can't do it. I don't know. So full disclosure, I'm not a mother. I don't have anyone to care for besides myself and my husband. Um, but I think that I've seen how women can self-destruct with their own expectations, let alone societal expectations of how to perform at work, steadily climbing, gaining more responsibility, approaching managerial roles, in addition to doing everything else that we have to do at home, starting this second shift, as I call it. And I think it's unfair to say, well, if you're not negotiating all of this, then you're leaving things on the table. And oh, by the way, you have to be knocking it out of the park at home too. It's just unfair. It's unrealistic. Totally. Oh my gosh. That totally connected with me when you said second shift, because it does feel like that when I turn off my computer, I don't have kids either, but it is like a second shift. You have to go make dinner. You have to plan out your day. If you have any other things, like you have your salary negotiation coaching on the side, that's something else you shift into It's so much. So with all of that being said, we know we do a lot of work. We know we are worthy of all of the things that we can get out of this world. How do we go into wanting to negotiate the package, because I won't even just say salary, but the package or even asking for a raise, how do we go into that with confidence and do it, period? (laughs) So the doing part is always the hardest part. However, I think that a lot of women, at least prior to reaching out to me, usually have the seed planted in their mind that they want to ask. So the desire is there first. And that's kind of like what gets things going, which is important. And that's, I think, when women start to follow people like me, like, what are people saying about salary negotiation? What do I need to know? I might be a first-time negotiator. I'm just dabbling. I don't really know yet. But starting to surround yourself with other women who have done it before or who are talking about it openly is a great way to get your toes wet. And I think that is one method to building more confidence. You're starting to normalize the conversation. You're starting to say the word compensation out loud without physically cringing. You're not whispering it, but you're actually saying the word. And you're starting to envision what it could be like to talk to your boss or manager about your growth path. So just normalizing that that's even a concept that you can bring up, I think is probably step one. And in terms of how do you actually do it, I cannot stress enough preparation. Preparation, like anything else in life, just relieves so much stress 
and adds so much clarity. And when you're clear on what you want and how you're going to go after it, you can take a deep breath and say, okay, I'm ready for this versus waking up one morning and being like, well, I'm just going to wing it. We'll see what he says. We'll see what she does about this. And just kind of putting a finger in the wind, like, let's hope for the best. We always say at my day job, like hope is not a strategy. So I think where I come in, in terms of preparation is helping women get really, really clear. What did you do? How did it make you feel? Because don't ask to grow in a role that you don't even like, which you'd be surprised how many women are just on the hamster wheel of achievement who think, who cares if I like it? If it's getting me to the next step and I can earn more money, I'll worry about that later. I'm a recovering one of those. Um, And I think that I try to give as much direction on writing things down so that women have documents they can take into any performance review, off-cycle salary negotiation, asking for a raise, promotion, whatever that is. It's all about consolidating data points so that what you talk about is strictly the value of the output of your work and not anything intrinsic to your personality. And that's where I think some managers even might get it wrong because if you're starting to judge performance reviews or even the ability to promote someone based on who they are as a person, that is a no-no. Like we don't do it that way. That's not how companies should be built. In my opinion, we have to value the output of the work. Now there's something to be said for like culture builders and people who aren't jerks because nobody wants to promote like the brilliant jerk who is so smart and does great work, but is just a terrible person. But ideally you would give that feedback prior to any compensation conversation. So to, to sum that up, I would say normalize the concept, hang out with people who talk about it, who know about it and prepare as much as you can. I love that because I'm thinking about like my current job. I think I'm, I'm a speech pathologist and I think I'm a very hard worker and I think I'm very personable, but just the way you said that, instead of going in saying, Hey, I'm super personable with the clients talk about how maybe like, because I'm super personal, this is my client retention and they stay with me. Hence you're I'm making the company more money X, Y, Z. I didn't even think of making that. I would only stay at the personality part and be like, but I'm so nice. Like, of course I deserve a raise. <laughs> yes. So you nailed it. It's, it's such a great bonus that you are a good human and I'm sure your team loves you for that, but don't stop there. Cause you'd be selling yourself short talking about how the value of the output of your work benefits the company and coming up. If you can, if you can actually assign a number to that, like if you're retaining clients, how much monthly revenue is that? Or if you're able to draw that back to the company's bottom line, that's another feather in your hat. And I actually have a whole template on my website explaining how to do that and how to organize that in a paper, because I always recommend that women take two copies, one for you so you can talk through it and one for your manager, boss, so that they can look at it as you're talking through it. And having that on paper is so powerful because there's nothing left to guess. There's nothing up in the air and it's all factual. And when you're talking about facts, you can be objective. And when it's not about you as a person, you can separate yourself from the success or the failure. And that really helps calm the nerves and calm the fear. I think one of the reasons why 
anyone, but in this case, women could be afraid of negotiating is because they think that their success at negotiating or their success in their job is them, is their personality. And I think as I'm growing older in my career, not that I'm that old, but I mean, I've, I guess I've been working out of college for almost seven years now. Um, I realize that I am not my job. What a concept. And that makes it a lot easier to negotiate. I like that point about making it objective and putting it down on paper. One, because I think just making it more objective will help us disassociate the feeling of this is our personality. I had something similar happen when I was first starting out as a speech coach and I was getting very few clients and my boss didn't really feel comfortable sending too many people to me yet because I was just starting out. And then I made a spreadsheet with all the clients that I had worked with, how many sessions they had booked, all their positive feedback that they had given me, if they didn't continue working with me, why they didn't continue. And after I showed him that spreadsheet, he said, okay, great. And he started sending me a lot more clients. And then I had a full client base, but it really took that step of, okay, I can't just rely on, well, he really likes me because that's not fair. And I think once we try to put ourselves in the perspective of the person who we're asking for money from or for clients or whatever the case may be, it really helps us kind of detach from that personal sensitivity. But I'm curious if you have any advice for how to work through that vulnerability of saying, I know I'm worth more. Sometimes it can feel because it's deeply ingrained in us a lot of the time, especially as women to not brag about ourselves. So how do we find our voice to be able to say, here's what I'm worth for this company? Obviously not your self-worth is not rooted in the work you do for the company, but how do you empower women to say, this is what I can do and to actually share that as opposed to just thinking it and knowing it, but never speaking up. This work really goes beyond salary negotiation because what you're talking about is societal conditioning. What you're talking about is how women are conditioned to prioritize how other people are comfortable and how they're feeling over what we need or want. So I wish I could give you a very simple answer to this, but I guess to keep it short, I would say we are all unlearning the societal conditioning and the extent at which you are able to unlearn prior to a salary negotiation will certainly help you. I think everyone is kind of on their own journey in terms of how much they have to unravel. This is something that I've been working on for several years now. And one thing that I suppose has helped me is I kind of look at the world as an ecosystem and I think, who are the sharks? Who are the minnows? Who are the people that if if they leave the ecosystem, the rest of the ecosystem like really gets messed up, right? Because if we're if we're playing with these environments, there's levers that you can pull. And I think a work environment is exactly like that. Who are the people that you would notice if they were gone? If you're one of those people at work, that value comes at a price. Because you're maintaining an ecosystem. So Maybe that is oversimplifying it, but I have always kind of tried to see my career just as that. And I want to be someone at work and in life where if I'm not there, you notice. And there's a that comes at a price. There's value to that. So 
how do I get over the fear of other people thinking like, wow, Casey's really asking for whatever. That question of would a man think this definitely crosses my mind. And also I think, so what? I'm asking for what I need. What a novel concept. I I've often feel so exhausted by stereotypes of women in that if someone says, well, you know, she's so bold or could you believe she asked that? These are ones that I get all the time or she's so ambitious as, as if like having ambition were a disease or something. <laughs> and I, I just, I've been fed that my entire life and everything that I've done that it's comical to me now when I, cause there's always one at every job when I run into someone and they'll say, oh, wow, you're asking for that? Or, oh, wow, you're already doing that? It just makes me laugh because it's almost like predictable at this point. But it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I remember when I was really, really young, still in school, and people would comment on just things I would try to do in school or projects I would work on, anything really. I would almost feel personally offended. Like, I can't believe someone thought that they could comment on that. But now I just accept it and think people are going to say what they're going to say. I also think there's an unrealistic fear of what people are thinking. I don't know about you guys, but I I sometimes fall into this like mind reading pattern of, well, if I do this, she's going to think that. Or if I do this, he's going to think that. And we're, we're guessing how other people are going to react, but that's not really rooted in any reality. I think you know, I mean, that like with, um, I think we mentioned this in probably like the past three episodes too, but I love it so much. The stories that we tell ourselves and the stories we create in our brain, that's something Brene Brown really brings up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's how I have to reframe it now is thinking, okay, that's just a story that I've created in my head of what that person might do. That's not reality. So I love that you're bringing that up. Yeah, it's true. And I think when people say, when women say, well, if I negotiate, they're going to think I'm greedy or selfish that's a story. But what data points do you have to prove that? At this point, we're just talking about the stereotype of some fictitious monster boss who's going to think that you're greedy. And maybe like one out of every 10 might be like that, but the other nine are going to be like, okay, what do you want? Let's talk about it and run to just move on with their day. But we create this like big, scary monster persona. And then we create this scared little sheep persona for the woman who needs to negotiate that I kind of look at and think this is all crap. I don't like either of these tropes. I'm going to go do what I need to do. And if anyone has anything to say about it, let me know. And if not, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. Yes. All of that is so great. Cause I think, yes, we can talk about salary negotiation, asking for a raise, but it's all rooted in this deeper stuff regarding like our own personal self-worth and what we think is so societally acceptable um, for our role as, you know, maybe women, maybe younger people in the work field. Like these are all things that are stories that we tell ourselves and it's just, we got to beat those down. (laughs) Yep. Definitely. So yeah, go ahead. One thing I liked that you just kind of threw in there was this comment of whoever you're talking to is probably going to be willing to work with you to give you what you want. And they're just like, okay, like, let me get on with my day. That was a huge slap in the face reality check for me when I realized this isn't as big of a deal to anyone else as it is to me. And whoever you're asking for money from or whoever your boss, your manager, whoever you're negotiating with probably isn't going to sleep at night thinking about that conversation versus you are. And that's fine. We're all, you know, the movie stars of our lives, but 
everyone else is also thinking about their lives and their problems. So one thing I think thinking about that is just how do we make this as simple as possible for the other party? So I would imagine if you go in with a specific game plan of, okay, here's what I'm going to ask for. Here's what I'm going to suggest. You take the onus off of them. Do you have any tips for how to make it as easy for the boss or the manager so that you're more likely to get what you want or what you're asking for? Yes. Yes. So two things with that. First, I love that you said that because it's really important that anyone listening and really everyone in the world realize that when you ask for more compensation, you are not asking the person to give you their personal money. You work at a job. The job is sustained by the budget. You are asking for money from the budget. You are not asking for your boss to pull out his or her wallet and give you his or her personal money. There's some shift that needs to happen that I think if we go back to societal conditioning, women think that they're asking for a favor when they ask for a raise or a promotion as if the person they were asking was going to like write them a personal check. That's not what's happening here. Love that point. That's huge. So let's just make that clear. Now, in terms of your question, how can you prepare better to take the onus off of the person you're asking? I recommend and I teach that women create three cases in their minds. There's kind of like that low, this is my floor, my walk away, like it has to be this, or it's time for me to look for something else. That feeling good. All right. I'm in here. It's not everything that I wanted, but I'm good with this to the rock star. I'm Beyonce. I'm rich. Like this is more than I could have ever imagined that I would be able to get someone to say yes to. So when you have those three numbers, you're working with a range. You start with your highest number. And usually this is more comfortable when you are starting with an initial job offer The range can be a little bit more complicated when you're asking for a promotion because usually your current salary, you would already be at some point in that range. So the range definitely shifts. But in terms of an initial job offer, starting with your highest number, and then if they counter, you start to look at that whole benefits package and think, okay, can they do this? Can they do that? You start pulling your levers, which you will already have ranked going into your negotiation based on the preparation that you do, what's most important? Where does PTO fall? Where does subsidized childcare fall? Where does healthcare plans fall? And you start to look at that because there are other things that you can negotiate besides just that salary number. And depending on the season you're at in your life, some will matter more than others. But clarifying that before you walk into the first meeting is essential because you don't want to just be floundering finger in the wind, like, Oh, well, let's see what they say. And then I'll decide. It's like, no, you should know what you want before you talk to anyone. If you can try to clarify that as much as possible, at least. And also just thinking about how dysregulating that situation is when you're in it, like you're so nervous, maybe you didn't eat that morning. Maybe like, there's a lot of other factors that you're not like, you know, your best biological self, like all those factors aren't being met sometimes. Um, Having those preparatory resources handy is I think key. Is there anything else you suggest like prior to, I'm thinking like maybe affirmations or like singing or like telling yourself something, anything like that that you would suggest? 
So obviously I always try to be in like a very good personal spot before I talk to anyone, especially on salary negotiation. So if you guys have ever heard of cycle syncing, um, this is a concept that women can kind of schedule their lives based on where they're at in their cycle. So when we're ovulating, we're the most charming and we're the most willing to be around other people, entertain, lift up others. We're very much in like this butterfly phase of our cycles. So if you're able to track that and schedule any very, very important meetings when you're ovulating, go for it. That's when I find like, I feel most in the flow. So actually just for listeners reference, we actually interviewed a woman who specializes in menstruation and noticing the patterns in your cycle. So for anyone listening, you can reference our episode with Dorit about that, but I love that you bring that up. That's huge. Good. Yeah. So that's step one. If you can, some people are like ovulating. I don't know when that is. That's totally fine too. Just download an app and hopefully in a couple months you can figure it out, but that definitely helps. Um, and just knowing like, what does your week look like? How are you going to be trying to get some sleep the next, the night before? And in terms of like building confidence the day of, I always like to like wear a really fun outfit. It makes me feel like I'm put together, especially now in quarantine when I'm spending most of the day in like soft clothes with no buttons. When I do finally get dressed, like wear real clothes, pants that have a zipper and button and try to just feel good about yourself. And I have a playlist. I have a CEO playlist. That's kind of like my bops, Beyonce, Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, all the greats, Megan Stallion. And turn that on and say, okay, let's do it. Here I am. I offer value. Now let's act like it. That's so fantastic. I think all, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I would do prior to asking for a raise or salary negotiations. But yeah, I think everyone's is different, but I love that you have that personal one. Um, So I had a couple listener questions I wanted to share with you and see if you could answer some of those. How does that sound? Yes, please. Let's hear it. Okay. So one question that we got was how to get over fears. Well, it's kind of like an ask. Um, How do you get over fears of being labeled as disgruntled or flight risk while staying firm? Ooh, I love this one because flight risk is like innate to the millennial trope. So here's the thing about salary negotiation. It has to be about mutual benefit. And if you are negotiating because you think that the company owes you something and you're going into it with an attitude that you have to take something that was due to you, owed to you, you're already starting off on the wrong foot. And I think that a lot of millennials find themselves in this position. I had a job like this where I discovered I was underpaid and worked my ass off to figure out how I could make up for that. And I put myself in this mentality of this company owes me something. Now I'm going to go take what's mine. And that's really unpleasant because in any negotiation that I had, it was never about me driving the company towards its goals. It was, hey, company, you've been screwing me for the last two years, so now I'm coming to collect. Nobody wants to be around that person. So I would advise any negotiator, take a look around at your situation. Is asking for pay going to make this any better? Because I was of the mindset, hey, if I'm going to be miserable, I might as well make more money and just dry all my tears and dollar bills. That was a terrible strategy. I did it. I would not recommend it to anyone. I did that for two years. And the more money I got, the worse I felt. 
So maybe some people have to learn the hard way. Maybe some people have to do that to learn the lesson. I certainly was one of them. If I could prevent that for someone, I would like to, but I know the world doesn't work that way. If you're going in disgruntled, ask yourself, or if you're going in fearing that people are going to see you disgruntled, I would ask you, are you disgruntled? Are you unhappy? Are you of the mindset that you are wanting to take something that you feel is owed to you? Because if that's the case, maybe this isn't the right job for you. Now, I had a negotiation with, I had a, a, like a coaching session with a woman who said, yeah, so what? Maybe I am disgruntled, but can I just negotiate for the sake of negotiating? Just to say that I'm, again, not part of that bad statistic. And I say, you know, I don't recommend it. Obviously, any negotiation practice is helpful. However, like these are human beings that we're working with. Like we're not going in to negotiate with robots. We're going in to negotiate with real humans who probably have a boss that they have to answer to that when you ask them, hey, can I have this? They have to go vouch for you. And if you're in a position where they're not feeling comfortable vouching for you, but now they feel pressured that if they don't, you're going to be even more disgruntled. It's just this cycle of shit not a good attitude, not a good energy, and you're really not helping anyone out. And especially if it's not about adding more value to the company, but instead taking what you thought you were owed, I don't recommend it. So listener, you might not like that answer, but I'm going to stick to it. (laughs) I love that. I had one more. Let me find it. Um, Where did it go? Oh, Instagram. All right. My second question is asking for more when really qualified, like top tier degrees, certifications, they have all that, but they're lacking in the years. What would you recommend to that person? So I think that any salary negotiation should always be about the objectivity and value of your output, not necessarily how long you've been in the role. Now, I heard you say degrees and certifications. Depending on what field you're working in, I've found that degrees and certifications are less important than the output of the work. So no one's going to pay you just because you've learned something. They'll pay you when you can provide value by knowing what you've learned. So if you can show that because you're certified or because you studied whatever you studied, you're providing more value than maybe someone who didn't study those things or doesn't have those certifications, then we can talk. But if you're walking in saying, well, hey, I went to an Ivy League school and I have three certifications in this area. So this is what it is. Like get pay up, maybe on an initial job offer. Obviously you haven't had a chance to offer value yet. So some of that you can factor in, but in terms of asking for a raise or promotion, just because you have those things like, I tend to say that's not enough. You need to show that you've actually produced some output. But if we're talking about an initial offer, you can definitely use those as leverage. But I would discourage anyone from hanging their hat on only those things because I often think today they're not really that great of differentiators. Everyone everyone has a degree now. Everyone can get certified. Everyone can do online learning. So those are great. Good job. But don't let that be your only thing that you bring up. That's awesome. I love it. 
Um, all right. So we are getting close to time here, but I know you have a program coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So I have tried to synthesize all of these lessons into a four-step online course that's dropping on February 1st. So if anyone's interested in kind of learning the steps that we mentioned before in terms of preparation, using the template to organize your achievements, making sure things are objective, working on the confidence a little bit, I have a four-week online course that starts. It's becoming available on February 1st and the first day of class will drop on February 15th. It's all online learning and we'll have some group calls too. And I imagine it's women just like us, millennial women, maybe some Gen Zs that are trying to navigate work ecosystems, trying to vouch for themselves, advocate for themselves, share more value at their workplaces and get paid properly for that. So that's what it's all about. And it's just four steps. It's very simple. It's not scary. And it's a great way to learn because we'll be in an environment of other first-time negotiators and then people like me who've been doing this for several years that have very funny fail stories and some good successes along the way too. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So in addition to taking that program, we always like to finish our episodes with one tangible takeaway that our listeners can start putting into practice. So do you have, if there's one step that you could recommend people start doing now to either prepare them to negotiate in the future or just to improve their communication in general, what would that be? Track your value track it, write it down. You can write it on a tissue. You can write it on a post-it note. You can have an open word doc in the 8 million tabs that you have in your Chrome browser, whatever that is, start tracking. What did you do within your job description? What did you do outside of your job description that has added value to the company and that has made you a better worker? Because Those are the objective data points that you're going to want to say in a performance review or salary negotiation that merit why you would ask for more money. Great. Well, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure. And I've personally learned a lot and I hope our listeners have as well. Where can people find you? So you can follow me at Casey Connects on Instagram. I'm K-A-C-I-E, Casey with a K. And my website is also CaseyConnects.com. And that's where you'll find information about the salary negotiation course called Get That Money, How to Confidently Ask for a Raise at Work, available on February 1st. So every all my handles are Casey Connects. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. And again, like Trisha said, all valuable, amazing information, and we can't wait to check it all out. So thank you. Have a good rest of your day. And um, that's it. Thank you guys. That was wonderful. I'm happy to spread the good word.